Hey, everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast. And I did it right that time. You did and- so good. Yeah, thank you very much. We're back after Berkshire, Dad. Oh wait, I interrupt. I screwed it up this time. Okay, <laughs> tell us, tell us what we do on the podcast, please. I'm so sorry. This is a podcast where we are working through an education based on Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's teachings about how to do value investing on your own. Which okay. I will say, as a, as a disclosure, that Warren and Charlie both agree. That if you're not going to learn this stuff, you shouldn't do investing on your own. You should just put your money in an SPY index and call it good. That's why so many people say to us, oh, they actually don't recommend that you invest on your own. They actually recommend that you go and buy an index fund. And that's a little bit of a confusion out there because that's technically true. Yes, they do recommend that most people, if they're not going to buy Berkshire Hathaway or learn how to invest on their own would then just buy an index fund because they don't support people paying such huge fees to financial institutions. But which is the mutual fund world. Typically the mutual fund world, I would say they'd probably think that about hedge funds too. um, Yeah. Depending on what the strategy. Depending on which hedge fund. Correct. Um, But beyond that, I think, yeah, they're like, do this stuff. As Charlie says, it's so easy and so simple. (laughs) And here's the thing. And realistically, they don't want people to take anything from them that would any sort of education from Charlie or Warren that would cause them to lose money. Right. That would be really discomforting to both of these guys. They're, they're very, very good people. And, um, and Warren, I think, expressed really clearly he would like his legacy to, that, to be that he's a great teacher. Mm-hmm. And of course, he has spent the last 60 years teaching us how to invest properly. And if that was not what he was trying to do, then he could have said, just go buy the index 60 years ago and shut up about investing. I mean, no kidding. He could have shaved himself a lot of time and energy by just simply not speaking to people about this stuff. And instead, he spoke constantly. He slowed down a little bit now, but he spent so much time educating people. And I thought, actually, you put it incredibly beautifully in the afterword to our book, Invested, where you said um, Warren's ambition was to be remembered as a great teacher and that yours was too. And I think you have also accomplished that, Dad. Oh, honey, that's a really sweet thing to say. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm a long way from there. I think, um, I don't know. You've taught a lot of people. You've taught a lot of people. And by the way, your worst and hardest student, me. (laughs) (laughs) My hardest, but my best. (laughs) Hardest, but my best. Um, I don't know that any other of my students have written a New York Times bestseller. And um, I certainly don't think anybody's put the, I don't think anybody's put the kind of work into it that you have uh, to really, really get it. You know, like every question you've ever had that you had any uncertainty about, you've demanded it be amplified. And that's why this podcast continues to be really successful. And so many people are listening to it um, around the world. And people come to the workshop that we have once a month in Atlanta from all over the world. Typically, there are 40 or 50 people from other countries there every month. 
which is amazing. And it's a real, it's a real testimony to the power of Buffett and Munger's teaching um, that so many people want to learn it at Berkshire. How many people from China do you think were there? I mean, it oh my was gosh. Huge. So you guys, if you missed the last podcast, we were at Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting and we did a live podcast, which was our first one ever um, from the Bookworm bookstore with Laura Rittenhouse, who's a Buffett expert. And we talked about it then. And we were talking about the number of Chinese people who were at that meeting. Everyone was talking about it because I would say just based on the questioners that got up, maybe half the questions were from oh, yeah. people from China, maybe yeah. more than half. I mean, yeah. after a couple, I was kind of like, oh, there's a lot of Chinese people here. And then after like a few more, I was like, wait a second. Now, this isn't to say that half the audience was Chinese, but certainly the people who were really up to, to get things answered that they had, they wanted to get answered or to be slightly cynical to get their face in front of a video so mm. that their friends in China could see that they actually were um, doing something important at the Berkshire meeting. Maybe that was part of it. It would be if I was from China and trying to be a fund manager in China, I'd, I would want a piece of video of me at the Berkshire meeting. That would be killer. And this one woman got up. Those of you who get my monthly newsletter, you'll have read this in my newsletter that came out um, just a couple of days ago. And this one woman, I just thought it was so funny. She got up and she works for a family office. So she like does investing for a family and somebody, some family who's wealthy. And she got up and she said, I work at a family office. Just really interested to know, do either of you have a family office? And they both just stared at her for a second. <laughs> Everyone in the whole audience was like, why what? did you come here? <laughs> Because if you don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> what, what, did, what did Warren say? I think, we, I think we'd be the last guys. Yeah, that's what he said. He basically said have a there family would be office. no point to that. <laughs> because a, a family office, for those of you who don't know, is typically professionally managed money that belongs prin principally to one family. Mm -hmm. um, so somebody, you know, pick a name, uh, the Gates family or something, um, which has the patriarch who's made a fortune doing Microsoft and is not necessarily a professional investor, but has billions of dollars to be invested, would hire the best professional fund manager he could. And that, that manager would just manage the Gates fortune. That's, that's, and Gates probably has somebody like that. He probably does. And that'll but often Buffett be doesn't. more than one person. It's often really genuinely an office of people because they just have so much money. Yeah. Families. So, you and know, the idea there is isn't to be genius. It's the idea with, with family offices is the idea that is behind really the vast amount of money that's being managed by uh, professionals from, you know, JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley and other, other really good financial advisory firms. The vast majority of that money is really from wealthy people, mm -hmm. talking billions and billions of dollars of, of money that's been made by the family in some sort of way over time. And now the objective is to keep it moving, not necessarily larger, but to keep it up with inflation and don't lose it, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. it's a, it, most of the financial services industry is run on an extremely different paradigm uh, for a whole different purpose than what you hear on TV, right? I mean, it's such a good point. Yeah, it's completely different than what I'm trying to do. That's for sure. 
I don't have family office. That's right, because I'm not dead. <laughs> You're my family office. And I want you to know that I'm going to do my very best to spend it all before I die. I know, I know. <laughs> Mr. Polo Plane, horse owning. <laughs> don't and worry, because You should spend because... every last cent. I want you to enjoy everything. God, and this is, this but is keep the... a little for when you're wheelchair bound and like, you know, <laughs> need to nurse full time. And in truth, in truth, um, your uncle Steve really got me thinking about this, um, which is to create generational wealth. Um, that passes down. I, I think in a certain degree, you and your sister and Daniel and Hunter, these guys, you guys are all going to be fine. You've got great educations. You've got a great start in life. You're going to do really well. Um, and I'm really proud of you for that. And I'm really happy we did it like that, um, where you felt like you had to make it on your own. It wasn't going to be handed over. Absolutely. Um, and I, I'll tell you, man, I think that that's a huge difference from kids that are growing up with some money is that if you if you think you've got it made just because dad and mom have money, you could you tend to grow up a little differently, perhaps. You don't drive yourself so hard, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I've never been in that position. I couldn't say. I'm sure there's many people who grew up very well in that situation. Well, come on, you went to Wellesley. I mean, come on, that college has got to be full of people who are sitting on family money and uh, they don't know what they're going to do in their life, if anything. Is that is that true, or am I just being ridiculous? Uh, you're being ridiculous. There's, oh, shoot. Like, <laughs> there's, I'm sure, some very wealthy women at Wellesley, but it is by far the tiny mi minority. And you see what you just heard there was your father's experience with the big, greater world <clears throat> from Bellevue Community College. Not to put down Bellevue Community College, but I failed out of Bellevue Community College. And I did make it through a year at College of Marin, another fine community college. And so when I think, when I hear Wellesley, and I've been to, I, you know? Yeah, I'm like, I, Wellesley doesn't have this reputation, so I don't even know where this is coming say? from. Wellesley has a reputation in my mind of really a bunch of really rich girls. That's what I think of when I think of Wellesley. And when I went there, nothing dispelled that. Really? It looked like a bunch of really rich girls running around there. Yeah. Um, by the way, women, thank you women, very much. Women. Wellesley women who will. And, and I'm sure they're, they're women. They're, they seem to be women. Um, <laughs> sort of. They look um, like girls to me, but I'm, I'm just saying. Well, that was coming from a dad's out. perspective, I can appreciate that. Um, no, Wellesley is definitely not like a trust fund kid kind of college. There are other ones that have real reputations like that. But and you know, funnily, I, I don't remember hearing Wellesley among the colleges where the students are being accused of being snowflakes for having, having their feelings injured by words that other people say, which are harmful or something. Well, Wellesley women tend to be, I think, kind of kind of some pretty hardcore chicks. I mean, they, they're like, Hey, we can, we can do I this. Will take, I will take hardcore chicks over a whole bunch of girls. Let's, <laughs> that sounds better. <laughs> now listen, dad, we in the range of political forever. incorrectness. Here's what I'm doing. <laughs> we have promised for about six weeks now for about six months now. I don't even know how long it's been. 
to talk about technical indicators in the market. And I promised it at the end of two podcasts ago. And then we did our live podcast from Berkshire. So of course we didn't talk about it then. And I am determined to get this off my little notebook here that says, what's next? Technical indicators. <laughs> Let's talk about technical indicators. I All mean, right. we're getting comments from people going, oh, six weeks ago, you started that thing. Guys, we're going to do it. Right, Dad? We are. We are. We're going to do it right now. And we're going to start by just having you, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Mad Money with no, Jim Cramer. No, what that is. Oh, Jim Cramer's show. I know who Jim Cramer is. Well, Jim is a great investor and really, really smart. And um, he runs a show on CNBC. I think they go at six at night or something like that. And, um, and he opines on and recommends all kinds of things. And people ask him questions and he brings CEOs on the show. And it's quite entertaining. And I think Jim and would And he talks that about particular stocks, right? Particular companies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think Jim would admit it's, a, you know, it's an entertainment driven show. He's very over the top, you know, emotionally and does his hands. Yeah, I sort of remember this now. He like has some sort of board of sounds. Right. He's got a pile, a big soundboard. That's board what I remember. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With him, he's I have got a not machine watched gun. that in a very long time. Okay. So I, he's terrifically entertaining. And if you want to be entertained, watch it. And, um, and I like Jim a great deal. And on his show, he has occasionally, um, he talks occasionally about technical indicators and, oh. and, and the skill of charting. Now, these are, these are what is called, these, these fall into the category of technical trading, which um, is different and entirely categorically different than the kind of investing that we do. So technical trading is uh, a different world than fundamental investing. This is bringing it back to me now when you said something like the technical indicators are kind of like looking at the clouds and one person will see a bunny and the other person will see like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and both might be right, something like that. <laughs> well, not neither thing. What's that guy that makes the t-shirt that says, and it's a picture of a pipe that says, this is not a pipe, right? It's, you're seeing a bunny and it's not a bunny. It's a cloud. <laughs> all right? And it's okay. not a, you know, rainbow gold at the end. Of the, it, it's just a cloud and we make up what it looks like, right? Mm -hmm. We make up what it looks like. And technical trading and charting is like that. It is making up what patterns look like, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing is, though, the reason Jim puts it on his show from time to time, and you will see technical traders come on to CNBC and opine about what direction a stock is going to go or the market's going to go based on these technical signals, which are absolutely akin to looking at the clouds and seeing bunnies and trains. Okay. Mm, okay. So you're just making up some sort of a pattern that your brain starts to see. And, um, and well, so that's this why is, when you brought it up, I was like, what the heck? Because I thought we were doing the exact opposite of that. Right. We are. We're, we're, <laughs> we could care less in general about any of the things that look like bunnies or trains. Okay. Because we are, and, and Warren says it back early in his career, he, career he, he played with these things and found that they were not particularly useful to him. Oh, and really? He oh, abandoned them. 
Okay. Sure. I mean, when you're getting started, you're looking for all kinds of ways of figuring it all out. And there have pe been people who have done well with this stuff. So, um, so we're going to dive into this a little bit, but I want everybody to have the context. And that is we're just educating about a part of the market that's done quite widely by quite a lot of people and has an impact actually. So and yeah, real, so tell me why we're talking about it. If it's has nothing to do really with long-term value investing, if Buffett doesn't do it, why are we talking about it? Right. Well, we're talking about it because um, there are a great number of traders who use technical signals and use them to enter and exit positions, in particular, entering and exiting the market. And as a result... Meaning, um, sorry, knowing, meaning entering and exiting market index funds? Right. Okay. Or getting out of everything because an index in the market is suddenly signaling red. Uh, look out below. And so they'll start exiting a lot of positions. So an awful lot of people have added technical trading uh, skills to their fundamental investing. Hmm. All and, right. And they, they're on Wall Street, these guys. Is it they kind of because, of I mean, from what you just said, it sounds like it's because other people are responding to these indicators and it's and good it, to know what other people are doing. It is exactly that. I, I don't know that you'd find anybody out there who would argue seriously that because the 50-day moving average crossed the 200-day moving average, the market's going to fall like a brick. It's, it's that, that particular signal is commonly found with a change in the market direction, right? And so because it is, people look for it. And then when they see it, they change market direction. And because they do, the signal works to a certain degree. Wow. In other words, it's self-fulfilling. Totally. You see that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite entertaining, actually, that when you recognize that these things don't have any life of their own any more than a bunny cloud does, but they are actually, people are placing large bets on whether that cloud looks like a bunny or a train. <laughs> They're putting money down on it. And if you're going to be in there trying to uh, go long, let's say you're going to buy the market, you're going to buy your market index now because you do that every month. And so you're buying it. You might find that you're buying it from most of the people in the market who are selling because they're exiting on technical signals. So I think it might be useful to at least let you guys know that these things exist and, okay. um, and what they mean. Okay, let's take it as general knowledge. I like that. General knowledge. And let's come back one more time before we go into this, that we are fundamental investors, meaning that we believe that the stocks are simply uh, a, a slice of a real company and we evaluate the business as a business, not as a stock. Whereas technical trading is evaluating the stock pattern. Hmm. Okay. It's very, very different. We're looking at it as a business, looking at value over time, um, consistency, predictability, uh, value versus price. Um, and uh, technical traders are looking at it as a stock floating around in this world of ether as if it's not connected to anything. They don't, in general, a technical trader could care less about the underlying company. As if there's like no company behind it at all. Exactly. It could be, and here we go, it could be Bitcoin. 
<laughs> which has no company behind it at all. Yeah. And you could technically trade Bitcoin with probably about the same level of success as technically trading an index. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I assure right. you that the Bitcoin trading market is starting to really grow. At this point, it's in its nascent stages and it's very illiquid, relatively speaking. And, um, you know, there's a big spread between the bid and the ask, but it is going on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and they are going to be trading Bitcoin futures. So it's coming. Hmm. That is, you're just trading clouds. There is nothing behind that Bitcoin at all. It's <laughs> quite exciting. I might get there, trade a little bit of that. That might be fun. <laughs> a little risky biz portfolio <laughs> action. Risky biz portfolio action. But I will never confuse, you know, going to the to the racetrack and putting my money on Silverado or going to Las Vegas and uh, trying to see if I can roll those sevens time after time or trading Bitcoin. I will never confuse any of those things with investing. Yeah. None of them are investing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm, if I'm I went to Las Vegas, agreement. You with me? Yeah. Now, if I go to Las Vegas and, and Las Vegas wouldn't, would not throw me out of a casino for, if they caught me counting cards, mm -hmm. then that's investing. If I can go in and have the odds in my favor so that I know that over a long period of time, I'm going to be successful. That's investing. Investing is knowing with a high degree of probability that you're going to be successful over the long period of time. And of course, no casino is going to give you those odds. So let me ask you this. If you go to Las Vegas and the casino knows in the long term, it's going to be successful. Are they gambling or are they investing? They're investing. They're investing. And that's why they have those great and that's big why, buildings. That's right. That's why there are roller coasters on top of them. <laughs> exactly. Now tell I, me yeah. about the technical indicators. Okay. So there are literally, I mean, I could probably rattle off 40 or 50 of them. Um, and I'll bet you on any typical brokerage site, if you were to go over to, uh, let's say on... Uh, well, over on Thinkorswim, if you went over and looked at their charting program, you would find that there are things called studies. And that's a common name for these kinds of technical indicators. And so oh. if you said, okay, I'm going to go in and say, well, what kind of studies do you have? Um, at Thinkorswim, they've got this little tab that says, well, add study. And check, check this out. I mean, th this is just the list of kinds of technical indicators. So they have alpha studies, bearish only candlestick patterns, uh, crossovers, cycle studies, daily studies, David Elliott studies, John Carter studies, um, LBR studies, license studies, lower studies. Now, all of these are created by uh, traders who have found something that replicates itself over time. Typically what they'll do is back test it like crazy to see what combination of time period and pricing changes um, can result in them getting some degree of predictability about the future if that pattern mm. reoccurs. Okay. And so there are literally, oh, well over a hundred studies on, on, uh, on TradeStation, easily over a hundred, sorry, a hundred different technical indicators. 
Hmm. So I'm just going to talk about three of them here. Um, and by no means should you go out and start to, you know, trade Bitcoin or something based on these indicators um, without knowing that you're risking your money. You're, you're absolutely risking money. And, um, and so with that as a disclaimer, the, the three that I think are interesting for us as individual investors would be the moving average. Yes, I remember we talked about that we one. We talked about that. That's the average of price over time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and let's say the time period is daily and you set the moving average to be the average uh, of the price over a you know, 30-day period of time. So what that signal would do is it would say, okay, fine, if you want to set it like that. And you can set these right on the brokerage site. They're all very easy to set up. Um, And if you want to look at how to set these three up, you can go back to my book, Rule Number One, and it tells you how to set them up. Um, So get the book. And um, you set up the moving average by just telling it what kind of periods you want and and what you want are daily periods. And then you set it for a 30-day period. So 30 daily periods. And now what it, as soon as you do that and say go, it looks at whatever stock you're going to pick up here and put that indicator on. Um, let's put it on the SPX or the, the S&P 500 index. Then it is going to immediately create a moving average line that moves through the price and uh, through the pricing history. And that line adds a dot every day and okay. removes a dot from, from um, its its uh, calculation, it removes the number from 30 days earlier. So you go back 30 days and drop a day. And now you go 29 days forward and then add today. And that's 30 days. And now you take the average. And then it just plots that as a line. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, cool. And and so you get some sort of curved, I imagine, line, depending on Mm -hmm. how much it's moving. Right. What does that tell you? Um, the moving average, if, if I had to define it as what kind of thing it is, it's often thought of as the psychology of the market. Oh, yeah, I sort of remember. Looking at market optimism, market pessimism, or another way to think of it as market greed, market fear. Um, okay, and, and believe me, <laughs> we're out on thin ice yeah. just saying that. Because totally. these are clouds, okay? These are just clouds. But this is one way to look at it. It's a pretty simple thing. And as the price moves down through the moving average line, um, it's an indication that there's more fear than there is greed. Hmm. And you're saying that, that it's the psychology of the market because what you're talking about is the S&P 500 market index. Right. If it were a particular company, then you would be saying it's kind of the psychology of that company, right? Right, right. Okay. And, and I mean, these, t- these signals are used by day traders. So they're, they're set on one minute intervals. Jeez. So they're looking at fear and greed on an extremely narrow time frame. God, and they're all minute. just reacting to each other. Oh, absolutely. That's so weird. Spinning, this little spinning ball getting smashed back and forth at very high speeds. Um, and, uh, and things change very quickly when you're looking at one minute, right? Yeah. So that essentially says that, and you could set that indicator, for example, on a 10 period, uh, one minute interval. 
And that means that every minute you add a new, um, a new plot to the line and, and every minute you're looking at the last 10 minutes of average price. So you're really in with a lot of detail. And uh, you could also expand it out to 200 days, hmm. let's okay. say, in which okay. case it's much slower and a much more arkier line, right? A much smoother line over, a, over that long period of time. So you add a new day, um, new information at the close of each day and subtract the information from 200 days earlier and then run the average and plot the point. And you can see if you're averaging your new day across 199 other days, today's new day isn't going to change that line very much. Yeah. Right? So the 200-day moves very slowly. The 50-day is much quicker, and but still a relatively slow line. And that's so when these guys are looking at this and going, well, the 50-day, which is moving faster, is trying to cross over the 200-day, which is moving slower. That's actually called, I believe it's called the death cross. Wait, what? <laughs> um, okay, hold on. The 200-day moving average crosses the 50-day moving average. And no, the, the other way around. Like, the other the other way around. The 50 is moving faster, so it's the one that's going to cross over. How can you tell which is crossing which? Aren't they crossing well, each other? Well, the 50-day the is the one that's... that's uh, imagine that you've got a car going nice and slowly down the road at, at uh, five miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Then you've got one that's going 20 miles an hour. And mm -hmm. the one that's going 20 um, just keeps whipping in and out, in and out, in and out across the oh, road. So it's kind of the impression is that the, the impression the 50 day is the one doing the movement. I got it. Right. Okay. So yep. <laughs> this is so funny. The 50 so, day crosses the 200 day moving average and it's called what? Well, if it's crossing it, in a downward direction, right? So it's the 50-day, look at my, my hand like this. It's 50-day uh -huh. is going like that. Uh -huh. The arc is downward crossing through the 200-day. You're making a downward arc with your hand. Right, a downward. like pointing down to the end of the rainbow. Exactly, like an airplane coming down through a cloud like that, down okay. through it, right? Yeah. That is called the death cross. <laughs> I just can't. I can't with these financial terms. It's too much. It's like, I think these day traders just, just got to liven it up a little bit so they come up with these things. I know, it's <laughs> you fun. never heard Buffett going, so I named it the death cross. <laughs> or we exited all of our positions on the death cross, right? <laughs> because he's done the work and, he, and he's found that it's just better to leave it alone. <laughs> For, for the most part, it's just better to leave it alone. So Buffett doesn't move on these kinds of signals and he doesn't even move on some fundamental stuff. He doesn't even move. He said, if, if the, the Federal Reserve chairman told us where interest rates are going to be in a year, we wouldn't change a thing. Whereas other people would be like, ah, I'm going to do it. change everything. So it's, uh, it's definitely uh, an interesting sort of view of the world that these things are that important. They would call it the death cross. And when the 50-day moving average comes up, now it's the plane going upward through the cloud, going to higher altitudes. Uh -huh. That's called the golden cross. Ooh. The golden cross. Going, going to make some money now. Angels. Going to make some money now. And the death cross, oh, we're going to get wiped out. So these are uh, signals on the moving average. 
now I want to I want to dive into the the deeper signals here, which are much more sophisticated and indicate things like contrarian positions in the market. Let's do that next time. Okay, so those are the MACD and the stochastic that you've mentioned Correct. to me? Correct. Okay, we've been promising them forever. We're gonna get to them, guys. I'm making it happen. I promise. All right. Until then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.